I'm going to read this intro part and then we can do whatever. And then I'm going to talk about you. You've been on the podcast before. Yeah. Episode one is, I think, the only episode I listened to before this. Is and, that right? Uh, it, I listened to most of it. It was painful. Not the content, <laughs> but it was the, the whole time. It just sounded bad. Like the, like technically, I, everything I'm saying right now feels like I'm saying an insult and I don't mean it. Yeah. It you just, know what your problem is? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> you laughed the pudding, made the podcast be a little better. Welcome to the Respond Worship Podcast. We are an auditive extension of the Respond Worship Retreat, where we inspire worship ministries for greater effectiveness. We instruct teams in worship skills. And we aim to ignite a community of worship teams. I am Ryan, and I am joined here not by Jeremiah, uh, but it's by... It's unfortunate. It, it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I've, this could be so much better. You can't see it right now, but I applied mascara this morning specifically, so it could be running down my face with my tears. Um, I, I hope you can tell I'm deeply upset, but I'm consoled here by Corey Scott. Hello. Corey. Yeah, glad, glad to be here. Um, you've been on the podcast before, before mm-hmm. I was ever on the podcast mm-hmm. ever, yeah. um, from episode one, you've been on the podcast with, um, a bunch of people who have been involved with respond, including mm-hmm. the worship minister at the church before me, mm-hmm. before I showed up at the church that I'm at, the way I said that was confusing. I'm the worship pastor at Kingsway Christian church in Mount Vernon, Missouri. And the guy before me. Yes. Yeah. Was a big part of it. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin Bryant, who yes. has been at Kingsway there, uh, you know, I, I really, I really blame Kevin for, um, the whole respond worship retreat idea. I blame um, Kevin for that and stuff at Kingsway. Th- there's all, so much we day. can blame Kevin for. <laughs> we actually have a phrase. We have a phrase in our office here at Northside in Springfield. Our, our youth minister's name is Kevin. Yeah. And so we have a phrase that's just called AKF. It's always Kevin's fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could say that for Kevin Bryant too, that, you know, so much of what we do, uh, respond, uh, good and bad is, uh, it's just Kevin's fault. Yeah. It's still um, Kevin's fault. He hasn't yeah. been here in years. I know. He's been gone for years. And I'm still finding stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a spider, dead spider in the corner of my office. Kevin. He, he is his fault. Yeah. You know, he probably let it in a few years ago. Yeah. That's so Kevin. Yeah. It's very Kevin. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, Kevin kind of got this thing started years and years ago. Um, I was thinking about that earlier that I think we're probably sitting at about maybe 13 years yeah. of uh, not retreats, but 13 years of when this discussion kind of got started. So maybe like 2009, 2010. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Kevin had reached out to me about um, maybe doing a mentoring kind of thing. He was fairly new in worship ministry. And I told him that I, I wasn't really even sure about the mentoring thing. I I didn't see myself in that light. But I said, hey, I'm I'm up for a conversation. And so we started the conversation. And out of that came this recognition that we need, and our teams of volunteers need, an event that they can um, grow with and learn from. So that's really how that whole thing got started. I think it's vital because I... um, I've, I've spent a lot of my worship ministry career in the technical skills, trying to help myself grow and learn and become a master of all trades. Um, as, as much as I can so that during rehearsal, I can talk to my drummer and give him instructions that are, that are from how I know playing drums is. They aren't just like, I don't know what any of this is and just do the recording. And, learn. Um, and I can talk to my guitarist. I can talk to my keyboardist and whatever. Not every worship minister is that way. And that's okay. And God is fully honored by it. Um, but what can, what can help a lot of our teammates is, is uh, coming to something like this retreat and they can get, be in a class with like 10 other drummers from 10 other churches um, with different skill sets, different styles, talk through it and grow and learn together. Um, and also not just as musicians, not just as tech volunteers and whatever, but as Christians go to classes like Matt Stafford taught in the past on uh, the Psalms mm-hmm. and prayer and stuff like that. Right. Um, it's just, and on top of that, it's just really restful. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already go to this retreat, but I, I, I never get tired of selling it to people because I love it so much. Anyway, Corey uh, is one of the 
founding members of the Respond Worship Retreat Leadership Team Retreat Team. And, uh, <laughs> but um, he hasn't been on it in a little bit. So for those of us who may not know you as well, um, introduce yourself. Yeah. Well, being with uh, the Respond Worship Retreat has been a highlight for me. Um, I love the retreat. I love the event for what it is. And I love what it does for my own volunteers who come. Yeah. Um, and the shared experience it offers for us. Uh, right now at Northside, you know, we've we've got about um, 70 people, 70 volunteers. That includes band vocals and tech. Um, and so on average, we probably would have, you know, maybe 15 to 20 people that come to the retreat. And which is not a lot, you know, obviously my preference would be, you know, everybody would come, but, um, but I trust that the Lord is going to bring who needs to come that year. And that's not just for our team. I trust that for, for everybody who comes, that God is bringing the people who need to come that year. Now I will always encourage it to our team and push it, but, um, but I also trust the Lord in that. Uh, but the, the retreat has been a highlight. What's been more of a highlight for me with the, with the respond community is actually the leadership team itself. Yeah. Uh, when I get to connect on a regular basis with you guys, it sharpens me and, um, I come away energized for worship ministry and, uh, energized for the way that we make disciples through worship. And so, so that's been real fun for me. You know, my, my role, uh, at Northside, uh, we've been here since 2003. So we're, we're coming up on 19 years of being here. And that whole time has been in the worship ministry position full time. Um, and you know, a lot's changed, uh, in almost 20 years, uh, with worship ministry. We stopped singing days of Elijah. We stopped singing That's days. A, that was a big change. Yeah. Ancient of me, days. Personally. And, uh, you know, shout to the Lord. <laughs> That's been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Songs have changed. Uh, styles have changed. Um, but, uh, it's been fun to navigate move through all those changes uh, with the church and grow with the church through that. I'm not the same guy that I was, you know, 19 years ago. God has grown me and not just as a worshiper or a worship leader, but as a disciple, I'm not the same person. Um, Aaron Brockett said that, you know, um, healthy things grow and growing things change. So if you're healthy, you will grow. And as you grow, you won't look the same. And I think that's what happens over time. Um, and, and I feel like that's happened and I praise the Lord for that. There's a professor at Ozark named Shane Wood who talked about, um, changing and, and uh, how some people today are like, I never want you to change or why'd you change or whatever. And he's like, if I was the same husband in month one that I am now to my wife, I would be a terrible husband. Right. Totally. <laughs> like, no, I agree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Shane would be a terrible husband. No, I'm I'm saying that for me. Like, um, yeah, I, I would be a terrible husband too, a terrible father. Um, so that's the point of changing. It's like, you know, the old, uh, yearbook, you know, you send your yearbook around and people sign it, you know, at the end of the school year and people are like, never change. You know, that's the dumbest advice. Yeah. You're supposed to change. You're supposed to be different. And, um, and that's hard. That's kind of a big pill to swallow, I think, in our culture today, because we, we live in a culture that says you do you. And like we, we give license to whatever if you're being true. Yeah. But what if you're being true is just flat out wrong? And there's got to be some wiggle room to grow and change and adapt. And um, so I think that's important for everybody. Uh, my, my role here is adapted uh, over the years too, for about four years now. I've been leading with our global outreach stuff as well. So all missions things, I'm part of the leadership team for that. And that's, um, I would say the first year of that was really hard. Yeah. Uh, I, there were days when I was literally running through the building to get to wherever I needed to go, whether it was another meeting or to find this document or hunt this thing down or be at this place at this time. And I was physically running through the building and it was a very stressful season for me, but, um, what I've, helped pare that down the most? Was it the pandemic? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Actually. Okay. Right. Um, uh, you know, I think the pandemic, uh, increased workload for worship ministry yeah. guys in particular, yeah. Yeah. but, um, but, uh, no, you just kind of come into your stride over time and yeah. you learn to, to adapt and make it work. But it has being involved with our global outreach stuff has really, um, breathed new life into me in ministry. Um, and I think that 
the the connective tissue between worship ministry and global outreach ministry uh, is really tight. And I remember uh, when years ago when I was even considering when the elders had approached me about would you consider taking on the global outreach stuff. I wasn't so sure. And it's not because I didn't have a heart for missions. It's because um, I wanted to make sure I could do both roles well yeah, and wear both hats well and that they wouldn't suffer. And uh, I, yeah, for sure. And I was talking to uh, Josh Huckabee about it. And um, I said, do you know, do you know anybody else that's doing this? Like, do you know anyone who's doing these two roles together? And he was like, no, I, I don't, you know, and I don't think it's an incredibly common combination of positions um, pragmatically, but I think it's an, it, it should be theologically yeah. a common combination of positions and, uh, and roles. So, um, and a lot of that just stems from the worship of heaven, you know, that God's promise to us is that every tongue, tribe and nation will be around the throne. That's, that's what yeah. he's going to do. Revelation 7, Revelation yep. 14. Totally. And, um, so I just want to make sure that uh, I'm leading our congregation in expressions of praise that will reflect his end goal. And uh, Matt Papa says it this way, and this is kind of my, um, I don't know if I'd say. Uh, mantra? Eh, maybe mantra. That I mean, it's yeah. kind of like that, but it's, it's, it's actually something I say every morning. It's kind of a, it's an identity that I prayerfully put on every morning. And it's this, that the goal of missions is a louder song for Jesus. The goal of missions is a louder song for Jesus around the throne. So, uh, so that's kind of where, where I'm serving here. Um, I grew up, uh, in a ministry family. And, um, when I was pretty little, our family moved from Illinois to Joplin and my dad started teaching at Ozark Christian college. Uh, so most of my, all, all my growing up was connected to the college and hearing my dad preach at revivals. And I knew from a young age that I wanted to be in full-time ministry. And so, when music kind of took over for me in high school, um, felt the Lord really calling me to worship ministry. And so that was my program when I went to Ozark Christian College. And my uh, my wife and I, we um, had met in high school, but started dating when I was in college. And, and then um, in 1999, I left a band that I was in at the time and um, helped start a, a new church in Southeast Kansas as a student ministry doing worship and youth. And Leah and I would drive out every weekend. We did that for a couple of years and eventually moved out there um, after we got married in 2000. And then, uh, and then in 2003, we received the call to, to come here to Springfield at Northside Christian Church. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, 99, I think I was uh, prepping to go into kindergarten. That's awesome, man. I was born in 95. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how that goes. I, I just turned 43. So yeah. I just got to say for, uh, at the church I was at, um, in Rolla, there's a big age gap between me and the senior pastor. Mm. And I loved throwing that at him just with a little smirk. He'd, he'd say, Hey, don't, you know, (laughs) this Simon and Garfunkel song from the seventies, I'd say, is that one of those songs from the 1900s? Yeah. And he would convulse in anger, just like, (laughs) I was years and years ago, our, um, some of our men were going to a Promise Keepers convention and we're in the vehicles loading up. Yes. And there was a guy that was uh, part of our, uh, he was a deacon at the time and he had been in worship ministry. Yeah. Uh, he and I got along great and um, uh, he's a very talented singer. I mean, just super guy. And and um, uh, when we arrived at the Promise Keepers convention, he gets out of the car and he's just dying laughing. He was driving one of the vehicles. I was not in his car. He gets out and he's dying laughing. He says, I got to tell you this story. He said, I'm in the, I'm in the driver's seat. We're about ready to take off. And, um, uh, the guy that's sitting next to me, uh, he says, uh, Hey, wh- how about we listen to some music or something like that? What you got? You know, and of course this is back before streaming audio. This is back before MP3s. And, um, so it was a CD that was in there, you know, and, and, uh, the, the driver, he said, well, I've got some, uh, second chapter of Acts. And the guy sitting next to him goes, is that like, uh, was that like King James or NIV or what are we talking about here? And, and the driver's like, um, no, that's a music group, uh, you know, from the seventies. And, uh, so yeah, it's fine. It's the nature of things. It's how it goes. Somebody, someday, you know, um, we're gonna, you know, we're going to be old and, uh, someone's going to reference Chris Tomlin, you know, or, or elevation yeah, or something like that. 
I, 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 I feel that way. I feel like you I was right after the, I hope I say this right, Darlene Sheck. Check. Check. Darlene Sheck. It's check. like Czechoslovakia. It's right. like there's a bunch of consonants that do not make sense. Yeah. And then the rest of it. Anyway, I was right after her era. Because sure. she was Shout to the Lord. Yeah, Hillsong. Hillsong. Yeah. I, w- I was still in the Hillsong era because that's been every era. Right. Yeah, they've been good. Uh, that was one of Paul's favorite bands in the New Testament. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they've just always existed. But I was right after the, the Darlene era. And so when people would talk about her, I'd be like, who? Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, you know, Keith Green. Yeah. You go back to Keith yeah. Green. You know, I mean, there were people in the church, in the church music world that missed Keith Green. Yeah. Why? Well, because he kind of came out of that Jesus music thing, and we weren't so sure about that. And we're going to stick with our hymns. And then one day in the 90s, we kind of wised up and go, oh, this is this is all right, you know? And so now we're doing Hillsong. But we missed Keith Green. We missed Twyla Paris. We missed yeah. several artists that were doing church music. I I didn't know who Twyla Paris was, even going into my first worship ministry. And somebody stopped me in Walmart at the self-checkout place where you never want to talk to another individual if the, if you do, that means you messed up scanning your white onion or whatever, you know. Um, and he said, he didn't say, hey, I go to your church. He didn't say, hey, I know you from whatever. He said, hey, you need to start doing more Twilight Paris. This is 2017. I I didn't even know who that was. I I gave him the old, I'll think about it, <laughs> and then walked out of there very fast. Yeah. Um. Years ago, I heard uh, Ken Reed, Dr. Ken Reed, he said, um, if you have a, a thing on your church website or a sign out front of your building that says contemporary worship, and then it says a time afterwards, like you have a contemporary service or you have a style of contemporary worship, and you are doing songs that are more than five years old, you are not contemporary. Mm-hmm. Like the word means temporary. It means it's it's not meant to last. It won't last. And it's in the now. And he, he would say that contemporary means a year or two. So um, so I think that at the pace that we're at right now of songs in the church, it things are moving so fast. And it is it is impossible to keep up. You have to but, be a scholar of songs coming out. But I even think so, this is the wrong goal. Yeah. Right. It's not even the right goal just to keep up. I want to sing a new song because that that's a command. Um, but uh, but I can sing a song that was written in the 1850s. And it's kind of a new it can be a new. Yeah. Approach, I remember right? the first time I heard Oh, Sacred Head Now Wounded, which you can tell by that Yoda verbiage in there that uh, it's not it's not new, um, but it's poetic and powerful. And like a great Good Friday song, the same way that Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, like you don't need to read those during Good Friday, but if you don't, like, what are you doing? Um, It feels like that. It feels that necessary, how well it's written. You know, maybe another podcast, another time, but I think the the science of song selection is a constant theme that uh, we need to work on. I know I do. And I have a, you know, like I've got this whole system that I use to track how we're doing as a church for song selection. And I can honestly say now that we're at the beginning of the the new year and I just recently ran it, uh, last year was one of the worst years I've had in a long time for song selection. And it's not that we chose bad songs. It's just, I didn't have a great um, narrowing down of songs. It's too many, too many many of the same theme. Too many, just too many, too many. Gotcha. And um, way higher than my goal. And it just got out of control for me. And so this year we're going to change some things and uh, I'm going to try to be more disciplined on all that. However, just this morning I was doing some worship planning and I was getting near the end of, um, oh, oh, hallelujah here below, uh, elevation. Okay. Getting rid. I thought, oh, that'll be a good, good Sunday for that song. And so I put that in there and I'm thinking, okay, I got to find songs with, with the word hallelujah to try to bridge. And I'd like to do something older. You know, yeah. I like to find an old song, a little more familiar, old, older song than Hallelujah Here Below. And, and that's not brand new, but like uh, still old. Wanted to bring it in with the idea of Hallelujah, because it yeah. has that chorus. We sing yeah. Hallelujah. And um, th- the one that popped up from my archive, I had to go to a different folder yeah. to find it because yeah. I hadn't done it forever, was Twyla Paris. We will glorify. 
And so I grabbed that verse and I'm like, you know, uh, (laughs) it's been a long time, but I think if we, it's, it's simple enough to catch on. And uh, if we do it enough times, we can build on it. Yeah. And it'll be kind of like a new song for some, but for others, they'll be like, finally, he did something. Yeah. Oh, for me, I always have like one or two songs that are like, this is my one from 10, 20 something years ago, more nostalgic for people from the past couple decades than it is like church history old, like 18, whatever. Um, And recently it's been revelation song a year or two ago. It was seriously shout to the Lord. I was like, this is a great opener. Why not? Whatever. Some people think it's totally new. Um, Anyway, if you want to know more about that, actually the next episode we're putting out, I'm going to tell you about the next couple. The next one we're putting out um, is an interview with Josh Huckabay, who you mentioned, talking about, um, we're going to talk about the chapter of the worship pastor called the doxological philosopher. And if you think there are too many syllables in those two words, you're right. All it means is, no, not doxological philosopher, theological dietitian. They're all too long. Um, theological dietitian, how we pick what we talk about in our faith through song selection, through scripture reading, through preaching, through whatever, through communion meditations. Um, are we talking about the full variety of human emotions and, and are we talking about personal salvation, but also God, uh, making all things right and justice and things like that. And, um, are, are we having a well-rounded meal rather than Jolly Ranchers every week? Um, and so if you want to hear more about this topic, you should tune in. I won't say next week because it won't be next week. It'll probably be like three, four weeks from now, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to put out an episode. Um, but what I really wanted to talk with you about is uh, we were supposed to have a retreat last weekend and we did not. Wait, um, we didn't have it? I thought I, I, at least I showed didn't up. Go. I, <laughs> I didn't go. It was a little cold. Yeah. Um, so I noticed it was a little slim. We, 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 we rescheduled. It's so hard to not say we scheduled. We rescheduled the Respond retreat that normally happens in February, first week of February. Um, why Why was it in February? That's a good question. Um, uh, I've been asking that question for the last few years, actually, right now. Yeah. Um, but so years ago, kind of going back to our discussion yeah. with Kevin Bryant, you know, uh, when Kevin and I and some other guys that were part of that team first started brainstorming this idea, I asked this question, what are the slowest months typically for worship ministries. And we landed on February and October. And the reason was because in February, you've already gotten through all the holiday stuff. And um, you've got a little bit of time before February that you can do final planning and preparations. Um, And February is, you know, you're not thinking Easter quite yet. Yeah. Right. And then when it comes to October, it was kind of the same thing where you've come through the summer, you know, everyone's gone for the summer. And then you come in October uh, for your retreat. You haven't really hit the ground running for Christmas yet or Advent. So uh, those just seem to be dead, more dead months for yeah. worship ministries typically. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we just, we landed on February. The camp was available and we started. Um, and it's a great idea for how not busy it is, um, except for one thing, which is why it's not busy. Um, I found this out uh, when I was a worship minister in Rolla. Honestly, most of my things I talk about here are from that. Um, I was like, man, February's pretty dead. Why don't I do something fun for my volunteers and their kids and whatever? We should do an indoor pool party in February. It's a great idea. There's a, a community center, kind of like YMCA in town. Um, they have an indoor pool. That's YMCA size, slides and everything. It's like, man, this is such a great idea. Their kids will have so much fun. I'll get pizza or whatever. Um, we had to reschedule it three times. It snowed every weekend for three weekends. And I had to keep hoping they were open the next weekend for us to have our event. Well, they were because nobody else was dumb enough to plan a a pool party in February. Um, Now, this is not a pool party, but it is a tumultuous weather month. Yeah. And that's what happened. I think if the venue was located right off the interstate, we'd probably be fine, right? Yeah. But this is out at the camp, and it's it's good to be at the camp. We're we're so glad it is. But to get there, you got to go on all these back farm roads, and they're scary. And, and they're all 60 miles an hour, yeah. and there's big hills, and your church right. van should not do that. So, you know, this has happened a few times uh, over the years. We've been so blessed uh, doing this retreat for as many years as we have. This is the first time we've actually had to cancel because of roads or over the weather. And we've had years where I was wondering if we were going to have to reschedule, and we, we haven't. And so I've been very thankful. Um, but 
but yeah, we had to this time yeah. and it was the right decision. It was, it mm-hmm. seriously was. Yeah. Um, both because of weather conditions and how many people had already said, I don't know that I should take my team. Cause for me, I live 20 minutes away from the camp now, but I used to live three hours away from the camp. And so getting my volunteers together to come after work, to meet at the church, to get in the van, to go to Jimmy Johnson, and then go to the camp and drive three hours. And if it's dangerous to get there at all, I'm, I'm highly considering not going. And we have people from Arkansas and Oklahoma and yeah, and further away in Missouri. So it was the right call. Uh, if you're mad at us, email us at, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can, I can't stop you. Um, you can't filter emails. I guess you can filter emails by content. And we can, no. Okay. <laughs> email us at, uh, it's podcast. Well, there's podcast at respondworship.org. Respond yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, or Corey's uh, mail, mail something to his house. His address yeah. is. I'm five, 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 five. <laughs> five, 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 five. Okay. So that's why it was in February. Yeah. We did cancel it because yeah. of the snow apocalypse we had. Mm-hmm. Um, it was deep snow. Well, it was rain and then it froze mm-hmm. and then it was deep snow and it kept snowing for like 24 or 36 hours. Um, that's not happening. We're not getting out there. But I will say, um, like I said a little bit ago, like um, for several years, I've wondered if we should entertain the idea of moving it. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was just more of kind of something I was thinking about in the, in the back of my mind. Didn't really talk about it. Didn't ask the question. Didn't pursue it. Um, and I just, I do kind of wonder if maybe the Lord uh, is using this to force our hand to make a change that I think is actually going to be better long term. So we have we have rescheduled it. It's going to be the same uh, theme, that same weekend staff, you know, for yeah, workshops. And, yeah, all that's yeah. going to be the same. Uh, same and, camp. Same camp. Same roads to get to the camp, you but less it. snowy. We're praying because uh, it's, it's going to be November. <laughs> yeah. November 11th and 12th uh, of this year. And... Um, you know, fall is usually a pretty good time in Missouri. Um, but here's the thing. By doing that, we're, we're starting a new pattern of now, instead of the retreat being in February every year, we're looking at October moving forward. So this year has to be November because they've already booked a camp for other things. But then the following year, 2023, will be the second weekend of October. And I just think the second weekend of October in Missouri is usually gorgeous. It's somewhere between... Uh, 50 yeah. and 80 degrees because it's Missouri. <laughs> right. It's somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, could be all of those in the same day. And it could be, we could have a tornado and then it snows in the morning. I mean, there's just, you know, you never know. But the point is that I think it opens up a lot of opportunities. Yeah. And the leadership team's already been talking about what we could do if we had more outsides, usable outside space. Our leadership team met, uh, we met over video before this, but then, you didn't need the video to tell how giddy people were to move it to, to a month that's less bitter cold. It might be cold. It might be hoodie cold, but it's not, uh, it's not like blue frozen ears cracking off of your head cold, uh, that, that February can sometimes get. Um, that was a little gorier than, (laughs) than I meant to go. Well, let me put it this way. The very first year that we had the retreat, Again, February. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that it was going to be cold, you know? Um, and so we were going to try to lean into that idea. So we had this idea where, um, and at the time, like Snuggies were kind of, yeah. the, you know, yes. popular thing, but, but they're popular the because they're sleeves. goofy, right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, I got a Snuggie <laughs> and I had it screen printed with the Respond logo on it. Okay. Yeah. And we were going to do it as a giveaway. So we... We gave it to the person whose birthday was closest to that day. And then that was in the morning. And then um, I encouraged everyone to do their morning devotion. So we provided a Bible study Devo for everybody to work through. And I said, Hey, it's, you know, it's beautiful morning, go outside and take advantage of the camp and have your Bible study. But that was the plan. And I provided the Snuggie so that someone could go out there and stay comfortable. The problem was it was like two degrees out there and nobody wanted to go outside. Yeah. Absolutely nobody. And I think I went outside. I was the only one out there 
uh, just for the principle of the matter, and to be a team player, you know, but it was it was horrible. And it took us a week to nurse him back to health. <laughs> Soup yeah. and a blanket. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, after a couple of weeks, I started talking again. So that was good. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it was really horrible. And uh, I just think that we're positioned in the to the future to yeah. be in a better place for this retreat. On top of that, one of my favorite things about the retreat, uh, which I guess I'll never do again because now I live close enough that I could drive home. Uh, but one of my favorite things about the retreat was staying in the retreat center, some nice like hotel style rooms. And there's a pool table downstairs and to have some of the classes in there. So great. It cost a tiny bit more, but it's, it's negligible. You should do it. Um, that is like a quarter mile walk through the frozen uh, winter tundra that that is responding in uh, February. And so now you can stay in there and then also stay pretty comfortable. Maybe maybe not hot, but pretty comfortable on your way to the uh, the main buildings. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've always stayed in the dorms. I did once. Just, just, I interned just for Josh at College Heights, and I did once, <laughs> and that was the year I vowed never again. <laughs> well, I've done it, and I think it's more just like I'm trying to be a team player, you know. If and, you're like me and you've uh, tried to stay away from the dorms, and maybe you have and you've never been in, let me describe them to you. Imagine prison, um, cement <laughs> walls, cement, cement floor, um, guards with uh, billy clubs. Oh, my word. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, except about the guards, but not about the cement wall and floor and bunk beds and whatever. It's it's fun. But uh, if, if you got an extra 20 bucks, what is that? Four lattes at Starbucks? You could stay, you could live in luxury. They yeah. have uh, uh, bathroom attendants with the little mints. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeeves. Jeeves. <laughs> uh, good to see you again, Jeeves. Um, yeah. No, it's, I'll tell you what, you know, we kind of joke, um, but here's the thing, like for students yeah, and for anybody who goes to the camp during the summer for camps and things like we kind of get the dorm life. Yeah. You get it, you know, no big deal. Um, but we also know that the retreat brings in a lot of adults, mostly adults. Yeah. And some of them have never been to the camp ever. Like that's their first experience. Yeah. And so now they're thrust into a dorm uh, with concrete floors and bunk beds and community bathrooms, yeah. and, you know, and I get it. It's, it's, you know, is it ideal? No, not not for first world adults, but um, it's one night. Yeah, it's true. You know? It's one night, and we're like, look, it's not that bad. Come on, what you're gaining from this retreat um, is is worth it. Yeah. It really is worth it, and uh, we don't want people to be you know steered away because of that. It's like let's just identify it is what it is. It's the camp. Yeah. It's a camp. It's not the Hilton. Don't take anything I said as a reason not to come. Take <laughs> no, it totally. as a reason to assume that I'm a city person who grew up in St. Louis and uh, has camped but doesn't love camping. It's not camping. Right. You're no, in, no. I, no. Also, prison was the wrong word. <laughs> I think uh, army basic training. That's closer to it. The giant cement room with a ton of bunks. Uh, you got you. These have a uh, central heat and air. Yeah. Right. Oh, they do. Well, yeah, the dorms do. I didn't know that. Totally, that man. changes it. <laughs> I mean, come on, you're not you're not freezing in there. I mean, okay. it's, it's going to be colder than maybe what you'd prefer, but like, bring a bring a blanket. You know, come yeah, come prepared. Be you'll be fine. Yeah, totally it's fine. worth it. Totally fine. I would endure way more uh, before not coming to the retreat. I I would uh, I would I would wear shoes made from bear traps if that's what it took. If that's if that's what it took, it takes. I would walk to the camp with those. Yeah. Whatever it I'm takes. I'm dedicated. It's worth for it. For sure. Well, on that. <laughs> um, so that's what we wanted to tell you about um, moving the camp to November and then October. Um, it's going to do a lot for us. Number one, the weather's going to be better. And that means you can get there easier. We won't have to cancel, probably. Uh, maybe there's some thunder, lightning storm, Sharknado. Um, but that's that's a lot less common than snow in February. Uh, but Well, for these parts. For these parts. Um Maybe not Louisiana, but uh, so that'll be easier. That'll be nicer. That'll be a little more reliable. On top of that, um, there's a possibility for some outdoor things like you were talking about. Um, if we wanted to do morning devos and use the whole camp, whatever, you could. You could be outside, especially when we move to October instead of November. Um, that means we could have outdoor campfire kind of worship if we wanted to. That means we could have volleyball tournaments. We could... Uh, use their axe throwing thing. Um, 
any of that. If somebody can bring a bull, we could do bull riding and or bull fighting. Yes. Depending on the mood the bull's in. Right. Um, yeah. We have the room and the space and the weather for all that kind of stuff. Right. The camp does a great job uh, with the outdoor experience anyway. Yeah. Like that's their specialty. It's a camp. It's a camp. So, yeah. you know, they, they could actually, uh, by being the venue and the host for this event, man, I know, I'm confident that they could come up with some fantastic ideas. And here's one of the things that was very encouraging and confirming for me. When, I, uh, when we knew that the weather was going to be bad and we knew that it was likely that we were going to have to cancel or postpone the retreat, and I talked with the camp manager, Penny, and I just said, you know, what do you want to do? What, what's our situation here? And we said, well, we're going to postpone it to November. And then that's when I asked her the question. I said, Penny, is there any chance at all that moving forward we could keep this event in the fall? And here's what she said. She said, we at the camp, we believe in this event. Like, we believe in this retreat. And we will reorient whatever we need to reorient to make this work for you guys. So the camp really does a great job of bending over backwards to uh, host this. And I think that by having opportunities to do some things outside that the camp will actually accommodate that very well. Outdoor worship, outdoor events, even more workshops because you can utilize the outdoor yeah. pavilions and not just the indoor classroom spaces. Yeah. Um, I think that the the opportunities are going to open up really wide for us and I'm excited about it. Yeah. We could do a lot of things. We could even do outdoor survival skills that you can use as a sermon illustration. Uh, see how fast he, can you build a fire faster than your preacher can finish the sermon? That's a, that's something we could, if, if you ask for it, we could do when it's in October and November. Um, so that's why we're really excited about, um, even though we had to reschedule it, why we're really excited about, um, the doors God can be opening through this. Um, one last thing, this is not about the retreat. Um, we always try to do a worship resource every episode as far as we can whether it's just an album to check out or a, or an administrative tool your leader can use or any of that. Um, and I asked Corey about it, and he had a great idea. Tell us about it. Well, um, it's not so much a resource as it is just uh, an idea. But one of the things that um, has been a win for us at Northside is um, the process of planning worship services with a team approach rather than uh, – just as an individual, uh, if our worship services were limited to my own ideas, uh, they would be boring really quick and they'd be the same from week to week. And, and granted, we're not making massive seismic shifts from one week to the next, but um, because we want to have some consistency for people to serve them well. But uh, by having a creative team approach to worship planning, we're able to get a lot of perspectives helpful perspectives. So what we do is uh, once a month, we have a team that meets and uh, each person brings their skills and perspectives. And we're able to do things that are, you know, uh, more outside of the box than it would be if it was just me sitting down at my desk. Um, so whether it's um, a song idea that comes out of that, that I wouldn't have thought of, or it's uh, like a video clip idea, a testimony that of someone in the church that they know and I don't, or it's a, a graphic element, like a picture, you know, animated feature. Um, it's stage design uh, where you're including people's creativity and uh, passions for design. Um, you can bring them into the team and now they're contributing. Um, it's just been a big win. And I highly recommend that for people uh, when they're doing worship planning. And maybe you're in a church setting where, uh, you can't change the stage, you know, uh, that there's just no possibility that you can touch it. That's fine, you know, but think about things that you can just add in to what's already existing that would uh, be a beautiful element, a creative element for worship, because there's a place for beauty in worship. It honors the Lord. Um, or if it's digital content, or if it's someone who you know, has experienced life change and they just want to tell their story, we'll get it on video. And and you can find a student who maybe is good with a camera and just, you know, or equip good them. with their iPhone 13. Totally. Yeah. And say, Hey, I want you to film this person's story. And we're going to, we're going to show that as a part of the service that morning, you know, um, or even just the creative team approach actually brings in scriptures that maybe I hadn't thought about. God's word is speaking to that individual in that particular way. And when I say the word patience, all of a sudden that triggers 
where they are in their Bible study, and they're bringing in this parallel passage. I'm like, wow, that would be a great reading for that day. Yeah. Um, so it's a I've, win. I've seen this thing work in my own church. I haven't, I haven't instituted a worship planning team um, on my own, made out of volunteers or whoever. But um, one thing I love about the church I'm at right now at Kingsway, Mount Vernon, is we have a sermon planning meeting or something, whatever it's called, on Wednesday mornings. And we talk about the sermon that week. We don't totally generate the topic. We already know what we're going to talk about. Um, but let's say we talk about a chapter in first Samuel in our, in our sermon series over it, or we talk about, um, what is wisdom or whatever. Um, we bring up this topic and then this small group of five or so people, me, the senior pastor, um, an elder at the church, and then two people in no position of power at all, um, who just know the Bible, like the back of their hand and have, uh, prayer lives that shame my own, um, and what we can come up with together. Um, there are different Bible studies and experiences and um, testimonies, all these different things is powerful, beautiful. Even even through our own movie watching, <laughs> I think that First Samuel 9 really connects to X-Men First Class because blank. And uh, maybe it's great. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere. But, but the amount of times I've heard on stage, because uh, I'm a part of that meeting, um, our, our senior pastor preach and say, Ryan told me this week, blank. Uh, if it helps the sermon, great. If it helps uh, connect that content and what God's trying to do to their hearts and helps um, them be submissive to what God wants to do, great. Um, even him just attributing it to me is really validating and, and, and helps me. I'm paid by the church. I'm a professional Christian. But that kind of stuff helps me feel validated and feel, feel really like a part of the team. And, and so imagine what that can do for people who, who don't serve anywhere else. The only place they serve is on your team. Um, it can do a lot for those uh, discipleship relationships on your team. And then, like you said, expand the mind behind the service beyond your own skull. Five people with their different experiences. I'm married with no kids. My senior pastor's married with three kids, all in elementary school or kindergarten or whatever. Um, there's a guy in there who's 60 with some physical dis- disabilities, single, lives with his mom. Um, our, our three takes on the same passage on the same idea. Yeah. We really benefit from each other. Uh, there's a guy in our group who's a lawyer. Uh, there's a lady in our group who's a, a farmer's wife and between the five of us, what we can come up with is way greater. I'm not saying this to shoot down my senior pastor. All. I love him to death, but because it's five minds and five experiences, five, five lives, um, behind it. We can come up with stuff that's way greater. And the weeks that he has to preach, he talks about having to preach uh, December 26th or whatever that sure, Sunday right. was this year. Day after. That's just a hard Sunday yeah. to preach. Well, we couldn't have our meeting. And he was like, I didn't realize how much I would miss it, um, how much right. my sermon would suffer because I didn't get to run all this past you guys and and help organize some of the stuff. Imagine that for your worship services. Um, people can can be your eyes and ears in the congregation or your volunteers or whoever, uh, people from different generations who have always been in the church, people um, who overcame a drug addiction and have just come to the church and have a lot of questions. All those people on your worship planning team can offer a lot of perspective um, and help you navigate song selection, scripture, testimonies, whatever, a lot more thoughtfully. There are two things that I think uh, really uh, come out as strengths in this approach. One is that uh, what I learned from the Next Level Leadership Conference in Savannah, Georgia years ago, uh, where the church there said, we, we do not have a target audience when we plan worship services. You know, we're not aiming for, you know, 33-year-old males that, you know, uh, are part of the AFC West or whatever. You know, it's like they don't, they don't have that kind of a narrow target. But what they say is um, we, we include whatever that target might be but we include that that person in the planning process. And the, the reason that's a win is because you gain their perspective, like you're talking about, but the, the other side of that coin is you are able to impart your perspective into them. So, for example, if I was going to do the song, Shout to the Lord, and I felt really strong, like this is the song for that day, and I get a college student that's like, I don't even know what song you're talking about. And then I'm able to tell the story and say, man, 1993, man, you know, this song crushed me and crushed our church and brought us to a new place. And because here's what it declares. And, 
And I think, you know, I'm not alone in that. Like I've got a lot of peers in this church and they'll probably resonate with that. And now you get buy-in from that college student. Um, or I'm able to say, man, you know, like, um, blessed assurance. Um, you know, there was a reason that song stuck around as long as it did. And here's why. And so now I get the buy-in from that student. Now, I'm not only getting their perspective, I'm getting their buy-in. Yeah. So that's a real win as well. And it's, it's both of those are super helpful. One, the buy-in. Um, I, I, one thing I was not excited about in, in ministry when I was in Bible college, I was a high school student, all that. Um, one thing I was not looking forward to is church politics. Um, and I've never looked forward to it and it has never cared. It stays there no matter what. Um, but one of the things I learned really early on is, um, if you have somebody who is a loud voice against you and you win them over, you, you bring them under your wing and, and even if you don't do everything they say or do anything they say, you help them know they're heard, you, you, you valid, uh, not validate their ideas necessarily, but validate their personhood and whatever. Um, they're not going to stop being a loud voice, but they might be a loud voice in favor of you to all their friends who whatever. So you, you, you may not have a ton of connections to all the college students, but if you have a connection to one and they're bought into your idea, then when you start playing shout to the Lord and all the other college students are like, what is this? You can be like, oh, it's actually really cool. He told me about it and blah, blah, blah. The other thing is their perspective. I had a guy on my team in Raleigh who's in his, oh, I hope I get this right. And if he's listening to this and it's wrong, I'm so sorry. In his 60s, um, he was an elder at the church. And during worship rehearsals, I'd try to sell my team on why we picked some of these songs. At the beginning of rehearsal, I'd say, hey, this week we're talking about uh, Jesus reaching down to people in low positions, to women and children and and cripples and whatever, and handicapped people, um, and showing them like validation and, and, and raising them up past where other people would. So I picked, uh, this song or that song or whatever. And after, after like eight, eight months of doing that, he's like, why don't you ever say that on Sunday? It's one of my favorite parts of the weekend worship service. And it's a part that only eight people get to hear. And I was like, yeah, all right, I should start doing that. Like simple stuff like that. The perspective of, of, uh, volunteers. I, so this, this is for, I want to say this and I'll go to you. Um, if you're a leader, please do this. It will help so much. It'll, it'll maybe take a little more time out of your week, but also it'll take the burden of, of shouldering this whole responsibility on your own off your back. You're, you're there with a team who can help filter and, and discuss and, and mess with it, but it's super valuable. Um, when you're doing that, here's, here's two pieces of advice. Uh, include people with skills to serve in your ministry as well as people without those skills. So our preaching planning meeting, we have a senior pastor, we have an elder who also preaches, we have me who could preach if and when I feel super confident about a Sunday and I'm like, they don't need me at all, uh, then I'll be good for that. And then two people who have no desire to do it, but they have knowledge and skill and perspective. They've heard preaching for a long time, uh, so they have something to say about it and, and a perspective outside of yours. Um, also, feel free to include uh, other ministers like a youth minister or whatever, um, or elders and also people with no authority at all. Um, uh, that college student in whatever worship planning group has no authority to tell you what you can and can't do. Um, that's perfect. He's only been a recipient and, and maybe that'll be a helpful thing rather than only people with power, only people who, who've been shopping for ideas and going to conferences and, uh, whatever. The, uh, what I'm about to say, I think is a two edged sword. Yeah. The, the one side is, it, let me say it, and then uh, I'll, I'll give both sides of it. Um, the worship ministry is, in my opinion, one of the only ministries, ministry departments in our context of church, um, where everybody I serve is an expert in my field. Yeah. Everybody I serve is an expert in my field. Or at least they think they are. Or they think they are. But that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody has opinions about music. Everybody has opinions about uh, what's appropriate in worship or what's needed. Very few are going to come up to our lead minister after service and, and and say how he could do his sermon better. Yeah. Very few are going to go up to a nursery worker and, and talk about how they didn't uh, hand out snacks as well as they could have, you know, to the two-year-olds or whatever. Um, I mean, so much of our ministries that we have on a Sunday morning experience, um, people are pretty well 
content to just kind of go with it as it is. And they don't have, you know, maybe the expectations are th- aren't there. Or I don't know what it is. Usually but it's only if it's a dead silence. Like, like there was a minute after communion where nobody was taking it and we're all just looking at you playing instrumentally or whatever. That's like the only time. And even then, they probably will just say it to their spouse at home and behind your back. And that's, that's yeah. Uh, but again, th- those opinions come out, you know. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the... That, that comes across at first sight as a negative thing. And I think many times it is a negative thing. All right. Here's where it gets positive. Everybody in that room has an opinion about the worship service. And they are an expert. Okay. So they're an expert in my field. The advantage to that is that if you really want to know what serves your people best, all you got to do is ask. Yeah. All you have to do is ask. And I think you better be, you better brace yourself for the responses that you're going to get because it's probably not going to be what you would prefer. Yeah. For example, um, I'm in Southwest Missouri. I know that at least half, if not more of the people that come to this church love country music. I don't. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you cut me real deep spot. just now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like country music and that's the running gag around here and everybody gets it and we poke fun at it all the time. Every once in a while on a blue moon, I'll get my banjo out and we'll do some sort of bluegrassy kind of thing. Why? Because I love banjo? No, because I love people. And, and so I'm going to serve them to the best that I can in a way that I think is appropriate <laughs> overall. Um, but, and still be true to, to what God has wired me to be, you know. Um, but we live in a culture that values the plurality of voices. Yeah. And um, our culture says, I don't need a single voice like a Billy Graham to speak into my life or direction. But what I need is a Billy Graham and a Wayne Bushnell and, you know, um, um, you know, Andy Stanley or whoever, whoever the preacher is, you know, that we listen to online, we check out, you know, I need all these voices. And what I need to do is I need them to come into agreement to validate the message that they're proposing. Um, that's the culture that we find ourselves in. The, the value is the plurality of voices. Well, as a leader, I'm foolish if I don't lean into that cultural strength and say, what can I learn from that? How can I adapt that in our context? So I'm going to lean into the plurality of voices and opinions. And again, I'm not trying to cater to people. I'm just trying to serve people. I don't minister to music. I minister to people. Yeah. So that's why I've always liked the title worship pastor yeah. better than music minister in my head. Now this is very cultural. This is definitely a sidebar in my head. Minister is somebody who administers something or, or administrates over something. So like I am, I'm administering music at this moment because it's my time on Sunday, but a worship pastor is pastor is shepherd. A worship pastor is like, I'm here to shepherd your gathered worship here on Sunday, which is why I've always fought to have worship pastor instead of music minister. Now, as you cross cultural lines, none of that means anything I just said. Pastor means guy in charge and, or, or elder means something and deacon means something and bishop means something and, and uh, whatever. Maybe I'm breaking some cultural rules, but you know, the, uh, I feel the, that though. The danger when you, when you open yourself up to people's opinions and preferences, you know, you're going to get some really horrible ideas. But I think it's worth the risk. And one of the things that I'll do um, is I have a, a, a Google form that I share with everybody on our team. They get it once a year from me, and I spread it out through the year. But it's called our Engaged Eight. It's eight questions. And the, the way that they answer those questions reveals to me how engaged are you with this ministry in this church. And, and here's what happens. When I've, whenever I send that out, I open myself up to their opinions or their preferences and ideas. And sometimes I get ideas and I'm like, wow, that is impossible. Like there's just no way that we could incorporate that, you know? And then other times I get ideas. I'm like, I'm an idiot for not thinking of that sooner, Yeah, you know, cause it's a fantastic idea and I can employ it right away. So my point is um, having systems in place to lean into the ideas of your people is so helpful, but you put yourself at risk and you just kind of have to do like my dad says, you got to have, you know, um, a heart like an octopus and skin like a rhinoceros. You got to be able to take one on the chin sometimes, you know, but it's because you care for people. And all this comes back to that worship planning idea. I think that's great for your whole team. 
Maybe a whole church probably <laughs> church. really afraid. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's, but whole team once shows a year. You got to show wisdom. Whole like yeah. worship ministry serving volunteer team. And then maybe something more like your once a month, closer knit five, I don't know, six, eight person, whatever team um, to meet with kind of regularly to narrow down as many ideas, but still a lot of perspectives, a lot of life experiences. And um, one thing I want to say is uh, if you're a leader, please do this. If you're a volunteer though, and that that means one thing, either, and and you're not in a in a team like this. That means either it's going on and you're not a part of it, which is great. You don't need to be a part of it, but you could you could ask. It wouldn't hurt. Ex- expect to know and to be okay with it if if that's what they want, or it's not happening. Um, you as a volunteer have no power to make the leader do anything they don't want to do, but. If this is something that's that's deep in your heart and you hear how beneficial it is and useful, uh, maybe ask your leader, hey, is this the kind of a kind of thing we could start doing? Um, a kind of thing that even I could help you start doing, or um, even if it if it's every week, if it's once a month, if it's once a quarter. Um, I think there are ways for volunteers to take the lead on stuff. Yeah. There's a way to lead when you're not in charge. Yeah. There's a right way to lead when you're not in charge. Um, and I think we should applaud that and, and fan that in the flame. Uh, I'll tell one quick story here about uh, a win where this happened. Uh, we had a lady on our team who uh, was one of our vocalists at that time. And, and um, I would always put communion, the the bread and juice, I'd always put that backstage. And I would tell our team, because we were always on the platform during that part of the service. And I would say, hey, whenever it's good for you and you want that time with the Lord, it's available for you backstage, uh, it's yours, you know? And then I would entrust that to our team that they would uh, receive communion when it was good for them. And then one time I threw out one of those questionnaires to her and she just said, we're always together before the first service to pray together and do our little Q to Q talk. Um, how come we can't just do communion together then? And I said, that is a great idea. And, um, uh, I can employ other people on our team to give a little devotional thought and I can equip them for that. This has been a massive win for us because not only are we receiving communion together, um, but I am equipping people to think critically through scripture and, and prayers and, and guide us in that time together. They can speak into it like a lighting tech. When does a lighting tech have an opportunity to really lead in a spiritual manner? You know, well, this is a way that they can do that. So that's been a win. When you open yourself up to people's ideas or preferences, uh, you get sometimes really, really great ideas like that. And this um, kind of my, my last, maybe my last thought on it is a quote from Dustin Smith. And he just said, listen to everyone, but only let a select few speak into you. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of wisdom on that. Yeah. So. If you liked what you heard today, if you like this idea, um, either you already have it going on or your, your church already has it going on and you just don't know about it or you're not a part of it, that's great. Applaud them, cheer them on. Um, and if you're interested, try to ask if you can be a part of it or your church doesn't have this going on. Um, see what you can do to get something like this started. Could be the yearly whole worship team, could be the monthly or weekly or biweekly, whatever. Um, see what you can do to make this happen because the changes that can happen um, from a group of people with different leadership um, responsibilities, different perspectives, different life circumstances um, to all pour into the same worship service planning is it just makes it more beautiful. Uh, The same way that revelation seven, all those different tribes, tongues, voices, um, all their voices combining together with their different dialects and accents and whatever. Uh, just makes it more beautiful. I, I recently heard a sermon by my brother uh, from this last month, and uh, he said um, he was talking about race, issues of race and diversity in the church. And uh, he said, um, he goes, in our culture, we always say that we value diversity. And like, you don't have to be a Christian to, to hold to that, yeah. right? We value diversity. But he goes, have you ever asked the person the question, Why? Why do we value diversity? Now, he's coming at it from the angle of race and ethnicity, but I think the same applies um, in gift, giftedness in the church, right? One body, many parts, not all the parts are the same. 
Why diversity? Why is that a value? And here was his answer. Diversity glorifies God. Yeah. Period. Diversity glorifies God. And when we all come with our voices and our opinions and our preferences and our gifts to edify the church, to build up the body, that glorifies God. At the end of the day, that's my job is to glorify God. Um, and the more I can do that, it's a win. To get a tiny bit theological, I know we're, we should probably wrap it up here soon. To get a tiny bit You're theological. Editing. It's on you. <laughs> Jeremiah's editing. Your time. It's on him. Oh, it's on him. Okay. Yeah, oh, well, then, yeah, let's keep going. Uh, uh, we have one God. We don't have a bunch of gods, but our one God is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't have Father, Son, and Son, or Father, 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 or whatever. We have a God who in himself is a small, diverse community of eternal, perfect love. And when he created us, he created one person in his image, but that, like, which one? Just in his image. That's all it says. Well, in our image, in, in Genesis 1. Um, but, like, how do you make one person who looks like three different people? Um, and then out of him, God creates woman who is who is at one level, totally the same kind of thing at the other level, uh, unique in a lot of ways, different from, from him being male. Um, and then all the different people who come out of them and all that, like we are, we are all one in value and personhood and in being the, the image of Christ. Um, but not any one of us looks like God more than the other, just appearance. Um, and so like, in God himself, there's diversity. He separates the, the, the light in the sky from, from the darkness, and he separates the, the waters from the, in the sky and on the land so that the air and the, or the ozone, um, whatever. <laughs> Scientifically, I don't know where to go. The stratosphere. The stratosphere from the telecaster sphere. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, there's, there's this beautiful diversity that's always valued, the land and the sea and the, and the whatever. Uh, but it's all part of God's creation and all welcome in God's creation. So in the same way that, that race diversity, gender diversity, even, even when I was a worship minister in Rolla and had almost no, no races in our church other than white, uh, I would try to make sure there was gender and age diversity on stage. It's a contemporary service, but I'm not kicking my 60 year old bassist off. He's one of my favorite people on the team, uh, who like just super close with them and, and loved my, the relationship I had with him. I'm not kicking him off the team to make it like mono age or whatever. I don't know mono what that generational. Means. Yeah. Yeah. Hum, hum, yeah. Anyway. Homogeneration. Homogeneration. <laughs> um, however you say that. Anyway, it's just the, and so the diversity on your planning team, the diversity and whatever, um, just makes it more beautiful. Um, just helps make it more like God who is already three and one. And if your planning team is one and one, uh, you should make it a little bigger. Um, I'm not, that's not a rule. It can't be exactly three, but yeah. Anyway, I've probably beat that to death, but, um, in a very real way, uh, diversity is super godly, mm -hmm. uh, but godly diversity, like yeah. you all honor and love the Lord mm -hmm. the same way that the Trinity all honors right. and loves each other at all Yields times perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, listening to this episode. Um, I hope we were really beneficial to you and, and uh, some of these ideas we've had today um, in even moving respond in November um, can be a blessing to you and your church um, as we all try to follow and glorify the Lord together. Um, so stay tuned in the next month or so uh, for the next couple of episodes, which I am really excited about. Be By the way, quick be disclaimer, Jeremiah is not with us. Um, he's alive. He is with us, but he's not uh, going to be on the next few episodes of the podcast. What? At least uh, he fell off the cliff. No, he, uh, He's got a lot going on. He's a worship minister in Joplin. He teaches guitar at Ozark Christian College. He's touring with CIY Superstart, which is a, oh, elementary, middle school? Middle school. Middle school. Uh, uh, like church conference thing. Event, yeah. The event, yep. Mm -hmm. He's playing electric guitar for them. He's he's busy all hours of every day, and he's a husband and father. Um, I'm just a husband, not a father yet. So he's got a lot going on. But you he's have not a, gonna be you here. have a dog. I do have a dog. Yeah. A very well trained dog. Shows how good oh, of a that father. Doesn't, that I am. doesn't count. Uh <laughs> my mom uh calls my dog her grand dog tur. <laughs>
And that's a great place to end this episode. <laughs> we, uh, and scene. No, thank you for tuning in. Um, we hope you catch the next few episodes because they're going to be really, really good. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Respond Worship Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to our website and social media. Follow and subscribe to keep up with new episodes and feel free to rate and review us. We want this to be the best possible resource for you and your team, so your feedback is extremely important. We also want to hear from you. Send us your questions, content suggestions, ministry wins, and stories, and we will gladly consider them for future episodes. Just email us at podcast at respondworship.org. That's podcast at respondworship.org. We look forward to welcoming you into another conversation in a couple of weeks. Take care.